Today's guest is none other than Lady Phoenix, who is a towering figure in the world of digital art, culture, and Web3. She's an award-winning creative entrepreneur. She is a curator, a producer, an educator, and a thought leader, to name a few. She is widely regarded as one of the progenitors of the NFT movement. Um, she leads Yes Universe and Universe Contemporary, which are crypto media platforms which are focused on elevating culture in the open metaverse. Lady Phoenix shapes the very spaces that she inhabits. She ensures that as the boundaries of art and technology expand, they become more inclusive as sanctuaries for artists and visionaries alike. In our conversation today, it really runs the gamut. And instead of telling you about it, I am just going to let you listen. So what follows is my conversation with Lady Phoenix. Lady Phoenix, thank you for joining me to have a conversation. I am grateful for your time. I know that you're very, very busy. Let's jump right into it. And let me ask you, what is your origin story? How did you find your way to Web3? And what I really want to understand is what about this space appealed to you and what possibilities did you see? Uh, First of all, I'm really excited to be here. I'm really honored to chat with you. I think I really think highly of you. As you can tell, people listening, this is about to be a very funny podcast. So I had definitely <laughs> clear your schedule and crank the crank it up. You know, whatever device you're on, um, you've got a good, you've got a great voice, and I think you have a good uh, disposition for um, getting information out of people because you have such a nice voice. People just want to say stuff to you, you know, just tell you whatever. So um, I'm happy to be here to chat with you and really just be in conversation with my good sis you know um you've done a lot of really awesome work yourself in the space and so this is pretty fantastic um my origin story goes back to 2014 before there was a space to be a part of or even speak about and i sought out blockchain because i wanted to help protect my friends who were artists and help protect their work uh, this is probably, I think, uh, Instagram launched in 2012. And so this is like two years after Instagram is launched. It's really popular with people. It's the it app to be on. It's still all about photos and, and sharing drawings. This is before even video became a thing and all the sketch comedy and the cooking and everything that we see now. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of my friends were having their work appropriated i.e. ripped off. And I thought there has to be a way to still be a part of internet culture using technology to protect the work of these incredible artists. And so in doing my research, of course, Bitcoin was now also really hot. And um, so all the internet nerds, tech nerds, media art nerds knew about blockchain as a medium, but also it is a technology. So I, I thought, okay, I need to ring the alarm mm. and I need to do, I need to use blockchain and technologies like blockchain to help protect my friends. And so I started looking into it, had a number of meetings, almost joined companies that were blockchain based companies. And so most artists weren't really a part of it at that time. There's a guy called Dimitri. He lives in Lisbon, Portugal, and he started a platform called Ascribe. Um, at the time, I believe uh, he was in Berlin. So from what I knew, this was an incredible platform made up of technologists and artists and other types of creatives who had a similar idea of helping artists, protecting their works, but also helping them generate a profit all backed by blockchain. Mm. These were the first NFTs that I knew of, mm -hmm. and they were on Bitcoin. I bought a few. We're talking old school X copy, right? Mm -hmm. And these works are worth well more than than the kind of contemporary works that they have now just because of the history of it. And so I was purchasing artwork on Ascribe back then. It was the model platform for me. I thought, okay, if I can do this for my friends, but in America, I can do something to help them. More research, 2015 comes along. I find that there's another platform that's doing this, but they're using Ethereum. So this is the first Ethereum-based project in the space 
that's looking at artist rights, IP rights, and protection all through blockchain, but this time through Ethereum. Ethereum is sort of now on the new darling in the space of distributed leisure technologies, i.e. Web3, blockchain, crypto. And I thought, oh, well, this is cool. And that platform was Monograph, run by an artist called Kevin McCoy. And I thought, well, somebody, an artist too, has already taken care of this. I don't need to create a new platform and compete. I just, I need to support. Mm. So a year or two goes by and I'm sending all my friends to, to Monograph, but they don't quite have it together as a startup. And so that business sort of fades out. Now we're around 2016, 2017. And I'm sort of now thinking art isn't really paying. I need to kind of figure out what I can do in terms of work while also making art pop. Um, and during this time, I exited the company I was with. It was a beverage company in New York City. I moved back to Sacramento, where I was born and where my grandmother and my grandparents live. My grandmother has Alzheimer's. And so... This is like 2015 through 2018. So this is, this is my origin story for real, okay? So I'm taking care of her. I'm not working at all. I'm still curating art through a platform, Yes Universe, which is very popular online, specifically Instagram. I'm selling art through DMs to like various celebrities, guiding institutions, I'm a ghost curator for many large accounts on Instagram that have millions and millions of followers. I'm an art advisor through the DMs, all the things. And that popularity of that account allowed me to have the opportunity to curate my first show with the Museum of the African Diaspora, who's a part of the Smithsonian family of museums. During this basic time, like 2015 to 2018, I'm taking care of my grandmother. I'm still doing projects, I'm still involved in art, I'm still curating, I'm doing all the things, but most of it is all through, um, most of it is all online and through the support of my online community. And in that time, I'm reminded of my my love for helping artists. And again, the situation comes up with a friend and I'm like, damn, I should have really gone further with blockchain because I probably have a solution by now. And I'm thinking I should have really started that business. I learned a tremendous amount in that time period. And I think, okay, I'm going to go for it. And I started doing research again, started studying. I have a little art consultancy that ended up failing. And in like summer of 2019, I'm just like, dag, you know, what next fee? You know, like, right. where do we go next? And I still have that thing in the back of my head. Like, you know, you felt you felt good about the stuff that you were reading and researching about blockchain. You felt good about it being a solution to a lot of the problems and issues that artists have from IP protection to payment. And so summer of 2019, um, my life was upside down. My business has failed. And I'm like, dang, you know, I have a job at Tesla at the time. I'm not enjoying that. And so I'm like, forget it. I'm just gonna... I'm going to go all in. And then COVID hit. <laughs> um, yeah. And so in 2020, I reconnected with Coldy, whom I had put on to some different opportunities, like way back in the days. And we reconnected, which was awesome. And he and I shared an interest for wanting to help artists. And so I'm like, well, I have this little platform going, Yes Universe, and another one going universe contemporary we could you know do some things about under either of those and try to try to see what we can do just testing things out nothing crazy and so in 2020 um universe contemporary became the vehicle through which we launched the first crypto art week and really united the space it was a historical moment um the platforms that launched in 2015 had zero curation for real mm. they just didn't know really what they were doing but they were out there doing it flailing around in the water some moments of beauty and success and then others like crash and burn so they ended up crashing and burning and then we have the first platform to crop up and that's super rare so then most of the finer like fine artists um such as cold d and others are on this platform. The Josie Bellinis, Micah Johnson, they're on this platform. And super rare is that beacon 
right, for artists now, um, an example of what's possible. And what's really unique about that is there was a, a small revolution. Again, this is before that this is a space, but it's still a, a very strong community of people, but still kind of underground, hasn't gone fully mainstream yet. There's a wonderful artist called Beatrice, and she has a project, Creeps and Weirdos. She's freaking brilliant. She started Creeps and Weirdos back in the day and is one of the first NFT projects in the space. And she she and another woman called Sparrow, they actually fought for artist rights, for artist mm-hmm. royalties with these with these platforms, Super Rare and 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 the likes. They and they organized the, the artists at that time. So this is, you know, um many of the artists, um Coldy certainly is one of them. A number of other uh, folks who I can see their face. Matt, um, I can't think of Matt's last name, but he's a genius out of Chicago. Um, Josie Bellini, also another incredible artist out of Chicago. All of these super OGs that we really don't give flowers to or pay homage to. Holdy introduced me to the space. So I'll always be thankful to him for that and have love and respect for that, you know, because he's a white dude in this space that's primarily other white dudes and there's me this black girl i believe i was the only one um at the time and i'm like pretty sure of it <laughs> like i hate to i hate to be the person who's like i'm the only one because that's annoying but i'm pretty sure there there was no one else who looked like me and because of who he is as an artist and was to the community at that time again there's no space yet fully people had conversations with me and were willing to hear my ideas and were stoked that the two of us were collaborating a lot of people knew me from yes universe and so that also opened up a lot of doors when they made the connections mm-hmm. and it was great to be shoulder to shoulder and and sleeves rolled up with someone who had the respect but is also doing the work and who could match my gangster you know what right. i mean right and so as time went on he and I went our separate ways, but definitely want to give him his flowers and show mad love and respect for that. Because without him, I wouldn't have had the early reception and experiences that I had, especially when people were able to connect the dots with Yes Universe and be like, oh, damn, that's you. Mm-hmm. That's where dude. And I'm like, yeah, everybody does. <laughs> but what I'm really picking up on about what you're saying is there's this sense of wanting to do for others, this this sense of, I guess, altruism that is weaved throughout this origin story. And I, I personally remember you from from Clubhouse. And so I think that was actually part of why Clubhouse really hit the zeitgeist in the way that it did was totally. because people were looking for connection. <laughs> and the only totally. connection that you could have with, you know, it was this, this ultra personal thing is listening to people's voices. And your voice definitely drew me in, but you were also very open with your knowledge i i didn't know anything really and a lot of people didn't know anything and i you know those no one knew anything yeah whenever i saw lady phoenix in a room i'm like let me get into that room so i could just listen and learn i you know there are a couple of voices that really stood out but but you were definitely really big on sharing your knowledge and it seemed to me anyway like you you almost made it your mission to educate those of us who were new and curious in this space. And I wonder where that comes from, that just that openness. But I find that you are kind of living that out loud. And and I'm wondering where that comes from. I appreciate that. Thanks for that reflection. Um, Yeah, I think it comes from just wanting to see people win. Mm -hmm. You know, we live, especially if, you know, as Americans, and depending on people's experience, um, we live in a world and and with a history that is largely marked by injustice. Mm. And I feel that artists in particular have the gift that God has, which is creation, sight, vision, manifestation, powerful manifestation at that, because they allow others to see the world and see themselves in such a way that provides hope and inspiration. And so I feel like artists ought to be a protected class of people, the way some refugees are protected Mm. and other like LGBTQ are meant to be a protected class. And I feel that the people who make the world are often 
not invited. And a lot of people don't get credit for being the impetus or inspiration behind something happening. And I find that artists are largely in that space. I come from a a, a, a people that believes in living beyond themselves. Mm. So like my great grandfather and grandmother would pray for their progeny or their line beyond their lifetime. Wow. So their prayers cover me to this day. And it's influenced pretty much everything I do. I don't know if I'll ever have children of my own, but I know through educating people, helping them, championing them, looking out for them, there's a type of progeny there. And so I too pray for my progeny, whether it be through my own egg or seed, or whether it just be my ideas out in the world taking life or taking flight within the lives of others. I pray for those things. I, I speak life into those things because it's really, really important. When you're an African-American person in America, whether your people came from slavery or not, you realize with education and study that America operates on a systemic inequality basis as a norm. And so when you're a people who's been set up to fail time and time again, when you come from a people who have been held back for 400 plus years systemically in every area of society, except maybe sports, which also has its issues contractually, sure. mm-hmm. you realize that you must come from great stock are great people such that there are whole systems that have been in place for hundreds upon hundreds of years mm. to keep you back or keep you down like what yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> what right and so instead of perpetuating that you know through not seeing myself fully by not helping others by not creating community where people feel safe, feel seen, feel supported, feel heard, I'm 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 busy being active in the way that my ancestors were active because that's the only way that I was here, that I am here, and that I've been able to be successful in various arenas of my life because people spoke life into me. They looked out for me, not just blood relatives, but people who believed in me, strangers, friends I haven't even met yet. You get me? Those are the people that I come from. And so it's a part of my legacy as a human being, but also a part of my charge as Lady Phoenix to continue in the tradition of my ancestors. Proof of Culture is brought to you in part by Zora, the place to bring your imagination on chain. Visit Zora.co to get started. Connect, click, create. And now back to our interview. Where where did the name Lady Phoenix come from? Well, Phoenix is my real name. That's my real name. Ah. And Lady is my title. Got it. Everybody who makes an impact on the world for real and who who comes from certain legacies have a title. You know, and in the European tradition, specifically the UK, Elton John is Sir Elton John. Mm-hmm. Because some lady was just like taking the cross and crossing his shoulders. Right. Well, God put me on. Queen Elizabeth and put me on a nothing. So God put me on. I'm Lady Phoenix. You know, and my it. grandmother always said, make sure you put a handle on your name when introducing your, to yourself so people will know what it is and they won't mishandle you. Mm. Right? So I'm leading with respect out the gate. I'm always with my intention in a place of leading with respect and dignity. Again, because that's what, that's where I come from. That's my, stock that's my true origin story i'm a person born with honor i love it because you know people say you teach people how to treat you and so you're starting off any interaction with not only how you want to be treated but how you want to be addressed which i think is very important i really like that and i will say that that is for me that was part of my appeal i was like well who is this lady phoenix what you know what i mean because like who is this person it's it's intriguing um but thank you for explaining what it is and what it means to you um you know when we were talking briefly before we recorded this podcast you had mentioned to me that you prefer to say people of africa or people of culture and i'd love for you to expand a little bit on that as opposed to a term like 
BIPOC or people of color. Why do you lean towards people of culture? We build the world through our words. Our thoughts become our words. Our words become our actions, right? So I don't want to be in resonant frequency with words that have been used to harm people in the past. They used to say colored people. Yeah. Folks have a very short memory and they also don't like to read. They also don't like history. (laughs) But I think the greatest challenge is to reconstruct your world based on your thoughts, your words, and your actions. That's the real challenge. That's the real artistry for me. And so I feel aligned with saying people of culture rather than people of color. People of color is too close to colored people. And so with people of culture also, it really speaks to whom they wish to talk about. So for example, the word black is contested. African-American is contested because it's like, well, some of us were already in America and we've never been to Africa. We just happen to have the same skin color and similar hair texture. Right. True. For those of you who don't know, the people they call black are African, are the original people of Earth. We are the base pairs of humanity. We are the mother and father of civilization. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, people of culture is actually more uniting of humanity and speaks more to a oneness of people. And I feel like people of color speaks to division. Now it's like, now we got BIPOC. Right. Come on, (laughs) y'all. Are we for real? Like every couple generations or like couple years, there's a new term for black. So if we're looking at a generation being 30 to 40 years, we were the N-word. Mm-hmm. Then we hard R. Then we're mm-hmm. the N word, soft A. <laughs> then we're <laughs> then we're Afro American. Then we're African American. Then we're colored. Yeah. Then we're you know it's like now we're BIPOC. It feels like every time the name changes, it becomes more dilutive, right? <laughs> One hundred percent. Now it's just a big old pot of whatever people decide to throw into the color pot, you know, of melanin. It's just yeah. a big old pot of melanin. Okay. <laughs> and it seems like the people who are excluded are white people, right. quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, okay, so if I'm a white person and I'm constantly being told that I have no color among other messaging it's just like, when do we ever get to the point of where you and I are in the same boat? I'm just talking like at the heart level, at the level of my humanity is shoulder to shoulder with your humanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The next kind of understanding for me around people of culture, when they refer to black people and we refer to ourselves in particular, we call ourselves the culture. Mm-hmm. Right? So if we are known as the culture, don't call me people of color. I'm referred to as the culture. At least call me people of culture. It speaks directly to us, but it also is an open door where other folks who are cultured people and who have unity and the highest hopes for humanity in their heart can also sit next to me, can also cut a rug with me, can also be considered as people of culture. Right. So it's a word that sort of has two understandings. One for me is the culture, which I'm a part of as a black woman. And then culture as like humanity, like this person who's white, that's my brother. That's my sister. This person who's Asian, right? This person who's Latino, whatever it is, Latinx. I'm looking for language that is focused on unity. And I feel people of culture focuses on unity. I don't want to give my energy and my language to words and phrases that continue to other and divide. So that's why I use people of culture. You know that the word culture is important to me. It's part of the reason why I named this podcast Proof of Culture. But but I named I named it that for a different reason. I, I felt as though, much like everything else, the word culture is just being bastardized, particularly in Web3. Um, and everything is for the culture and everything is. And I'm like, what what culture are you referring to? And I also have found that I think the folks that are that I think are driving culture are not being amplified in the way that they should. And that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. But also 
it leans into the fact that Web3 wasn't, when you joined, very diverse and probably isn't that diverse still. I, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of black people in the space, but I still feel like the space is lacking. Uh, I think that the work of making spaces inclusive often falls on those who are excluded. And so I wanted to ask you, what do you think of the level of diversity currently in the space then and now? And how far do we have to go for true parity to exist in this space? This is such a great question. So I'm a part of the Blockchain Brain Trust, and we recently had our conference a small, you know, convening first annual. And there's a individual whom I met there who I've come to highly respect called Tiffany J. Smith. She's a lawyer. Mm. And she created a distinction for me that I held in my mind but can never really articulate until conversation with her. And she said, there's a difference between um, access and true inclusion. Most people are granted access. I was given a great deal of access. Like I was allowed into the rooms, but oftentimes what I didn't understand is that I was on the menu, mm. right? And that's why I was in the room. They didn't bring me in the room to include me in something. They brought me in the room to pick my brain the way vultures pick bones. And so... Once I understood that, I'm like, oh, I'm given access to them. Because that is a phrase that I wanted to ask you about. I think you said something like, if people are trying to give me a seat at the table to put me on the menu, I can fast. But yes. what I want to understand is, what was that moment like when you figured out, oh, I'm only here for X? You know what I mean? Like, this is not so I can bring my whole self. This is, it's an extractive thing, right? They want to get something from me. When did you figure that out? You know, it took me a while. Mm. It took me a while. Um, but when it really hit home for me was after the Christie's auction in June 2021. I was like, oh, I haven't seen everything now. Sure. Um, I'm appreciative of all the opportunities I've had and the people I've worked with, even if it's uh, been really hard and challenging and sometimes caused me to hang my head low. Um, I saw, I think I think for me to just want to back up and say, like, that's when I understood access versus inclusion for real. Mm. Because access to something doesn't always mean that you're also winning. And I love that you quoted me because I forgot I told you that. <laughs> but yeah, if you give if you're given a seat at the table and you figure out you're on the menu, it's time to fast. Mm. Right? And what does fasting so, look like? I was just about to say. It's showing up to those spaces but being an active listener and choosing words wisely the way you would choose ingredients in a meal, in a stew, in a soup. Right? This is good. Because you 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 then flip you flip the energy and instead of being on the menu, you're now one of the chefs. And even if you only sprinkle one little ingredient inside, you're still a part of that recipe. And at first I was so stoked just to be in those rooms and interfacing with certain big institutions, corporations, other artists, celebrities, individuals. I was okay with them picking my brain because I thought, first of all, I'm abundant. So I was like, I'm here. I'm here to share ideas. I'm here to like, you know, uplift the space. I'm here to like create something great in the world. I want to be a part of that. You've chosen me because you know I got the sauce, mm -hmm. right? But then they start putting the sauce on me. Then I want to say I was getting paid for many of those engagements because I do not believe in working for free. Right. But you realize that it's re your, your resources for people. People can get things done without you, but it's going to be very corny. It's not going to hit a chord with culture. And so when I saw that they weren't interested in that, in an equity play for me, they were only interested in picking my brain. I developed the phrase for people when they say, hey, can you know, I pick your brain? I said, sure, if I can pick your pockets. For other people who saw my value, they were like, 100%, what's your price? A lot of people, women, 
people of culture in particular, are also not really out there getting what they're worth because they're also seeing what they're what they're worth in the eyes of the right here, right now, instead of all the years that they put into it, right. instead of all the influence and impact that they've had on the space. There was no NFT culture before Lady Phoenix on Clubhouse, period. There's no contesting that. Those are hard facts. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone would, would disagree or argue no, there with are people you on who that. Disagree. There are people who disagree and argue. And it's like, well, how would you know you weren't even there? That's number one. And number two, we're talking about a, a, a you know a platform that was valued at a billion dollars where the primary conversation were Web3 conversations started by Lady Phoenix and then spawn out to create community and culture. And then other people start having their stuff. Farouk told me at the first NFT Now dinner, I want to thank you because without Lady Phoenix, there would be no Farouk. Facts. I understand that, brother. I was there when you learned to spell NFT. I was there when you sat in my rooms. I was there when you were asking the questions. And I'm happy for your success. More power to you. Right. Right? So when we talk about culture, we're also talking about real impact. Right? And a lot of people don't step into their place of power and their place of give me my flowers because they feel away and they haven't developed the confidence to step forward and say, this is my ingredient. And, and it's like, I'm, I'm at the point now where I did take a step back from Web3 for a little while and people were like, ooh, kind of like the Drake lyric, ooh, Lady Phoenix fell off. No fam, <laughs> I didn't fall off. I fell back. Right. And when I fell back, I had new perspective. When you're an ant, you don't see what eagles see. Mm. So I fell back and I had to take flight and start looking at the world in a different way from a different perspective, right? And so now I see Web3 very differently. I'm not out there giving myself away or allowing myself to be on the menu or allowing my brain to be picked or just so happy and stoked to be in these rooms with certain individuals of note and of influence because guess what i'm also a person of note and of influence it's because of me that a lot of these so-called big artists actually have a way now because maybe i influence the person who's influencing them absolutely absolutely yeah and and so i think like when we think about culture when we're thinking about access and an opportunity and we're thinking about inclusion access is cool I'm no longer interested in access. I'm interested in equity and full inclusion. Full inclusion looks like make this introduction for me and put in a good word because you want me to win. Right. And we together are truly in community with each other. We together are truly a part of the same culture. Right. And we share a value of wanting each other to win and wanting the best for each other. We're not competing with each other in a toxic way. 100%. I mean, I, I do think that this this space for better or for worse has become competitive, I think. You know, I think that there are a lot of people competing for what I think are scraps. And I think that that comes from, like you said, not understanding that you're on the menu, not understanding where you fall within the larger scheme of things. I think everybody has gotten into this space for a different reason. I know that I'm it's the art that brought me here. It's the art that keeps me here because I get very frustrated with this space. But then I think about the art and I think about what that means and, and it, it, it pulls me back in. What do you think is the promise of Web3? There's a lot of talk as well about generational wealth, building generational wealth. Um, what do you see as, as, as the promise of Web3? Um. I, I want to say this in a way that invites everyone into the conversation and what I'm saying, and in a way that people who may not share uh, my same sentiment or even agree with me can still listen, right? Because we're heart to heart and eye to eye here. So Web3, let's call it back in 2020, um, I found that the propaganda was pitched two ways. To the marketers and money bros and broettes, it was a money play. Mm -hmm. Like you can get rich 
this is a way to do it. You can cash out, become multi, multi, multis, right? And for the people of culture, the play was, it's about sovereignty. And I guess for the money bros early on in sort of like Bitcoin era, you know, uh, 2012, it was also financial sovereignty from big banks. But then by the time 2020 rolled along, they already understood what it really was, right? It was like, now we need to stop talking about sovereignty through uh, these digital assets because it doesn't look like it's fully happening the way it was initially advertised or spoken about. It's really interesting how there seem to be two different tracks playing. One for cash out, get rich, and the other one um, about like sovereignty. And so for me, I think the promise ultimately of Web3 is to is first philosophy, right? To help people change their mindset and the framework around ownership, around assets, and around their legacy. Full stop. And something that really concerns me around Web3 is the idea of being crypto literate. A lot of people, they don't have a background in financial literacy. So something that concerns me, and we're sort of not really moving away from the promise, but I think that this largely underpins that promise. If artists don't take more seriously the business of art, and which is largely being financially literate, understanding contracts, there's no way that they're going to be crypto literate. I know some artists might say, ah, Lady Phoenix, I get the crypto game better than I get like Web2 finance. And I would say, okay, great. Now that you get the crypto game, you should really understand Web2 finance. Because Web3 finance is a doozy. Do you think that they are interdependent? The under, like financial literacy is necessary to embrace uh, Web3? I think financial literacy is necessary to win in Web3. Mm. Because these are digital assets. This isn't just cute JPEGs, right? These are assets. And unless an artist sees what they're doing as an asset, they're doing themselves a disservice. They aren't really um, astute uh, practitioners of this game. But I would say have a firm understanding of the contracts, of your terms, what you want, and how those terms should be transacted. Also have a firm understanding of the value of the assets that you're creating and the value that you bring or your name brings or your impact and influence brings to the market. And then once you have a firm understanding of that, be the happy-go-lucky, carefree artist in their studio who's only focused on art because you understand how to build a team of people whom you can trust and a team of people with whom if you, if they aren't performing, you can quickly fire and replace them with someone else. And or you have a relationship with the business manager that you hired and you trust them to do those those things that I mentioned. I think that even if you do have a business manager, it's still incumbent upon you to have an understanding of what's happening with your money. Like if you're at that stage, you know, a thousand percent, you've got an accountant, you've got a manager, you got the business manager. Um, if you don't pay your taxes, you're the one going to jail, not him. You know what I mean? So, exactly. And and the streets are Hill. littered with stories about people who have entrusted their business over to someone else and who got robbed, you know? So it's still, still a, a responsibility, I think, even if you have the wherewithal to have all those people around you taking care of those, you still need to stay abreast of what's happening with your money. And I think that's, that's sound advice. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. You mentioned that you have introduced quite a few people to this space. One of them is Beeple. You introduced his work into Web3, and I'd love for you to just touch a little bit on how that came about. I think that when I talk to my friends who are deeply entrenched in the art world, the first thing they say 
when you talk to them about NFTs, it's, oh my God, people, 69 million, that's all. And I think that that, it did a lot to sort of bring NFTs to the masses, but I find that everybody focusing on on that probably wasn't the best for the space. So I'd love for you to shed a light on how that came about, how you helped to introduce him his work to the space. Yeah, so I had known people's work from back in the day when he was offering uh, his work for free online. And I think it's probably not known that from Clubhouse is where the drop party now is kind of like a standard, right? It's yeah. kind of like gold standard for NFT releases. I'm the visionary behind the drop party. I pioneered that. And so people who wanted to release their NFTs came to me and said, hey, you know, I, I'm new to the space. I don't really have community here with Web3. I do have a strong digital art community. I've been making art for 20 years or 10 years or five years, whatever it is. But I I need you to help introduce me to the space. And so that's where I would say fundamentally people and I work together and then just some consulting behind the scenes. Mm. Um, I think it is known now that I was the first to speak to people about sovereignty. Mm -hmm. He was doing his first drop on Nifty Gateway and I said, well, is this a sovereign drop? And he, he was like, a sovereign drop? What's that? I have like no idea what you mean by that. And so I explained it saying that, you know, you're, and now it's just kind of commonplace, like duh, but at the time it was unheard of, um, specifically with platforms. People did things independently and when you dropped on Nifty Gateway back in the dusty old days of 2021, um, Everyone who dropped on that platform dropped on a Nifty Gateway contract. So ultimately, provenance at the time was pointing back to Nifty Gateway and not the artist. And so what I told, and also in that contract, Nifty takes half of the royalties Wow, in perpetuity. When we were talking, I'm like, look, man, don't do this drop if it's not a sovereign drop, period. Like, you're the biggest artist to come into this space. People know you from from you know, digital art and your online presence and people respect you and your work. And I'm saying this from, you know, a business perspective, but also someone who's been a fan of your practice of every days from like pretty much the beginning. So please do this the right way or else you're going to mess up your legacy. And he was like, well, damn, I've spoken with all the biggest artists in the space at that time all the biggest collectors, he spoke to all of them and he's like, nobody told me this. I wonder why no one told you. Mm. And I'm like, that's a very good question, but Lady Phoenix is telling you. And so he took the advice and he became the first artist to drop on his own contract on Nifty Gateway. And of course that set into motion the idea of being sovereign in Web3 as an artist. And from that point out, every artist of great influence were dropping sovereign, hence the show, um, with Christie's, which was the first uh, NFT auction offered by a major institution, is entitled Proof of Sovereignty. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I, obviously you've heard that recently OpenSea, which is arguably the largest marketplace for NFTs, has made creator royalties optional and probably will be phasing it out by next year. I wonder if you can share your thoughts on that and what that will look like for individual artists in the space. I don't think people need OpenSea. And I respect all those guys there. I think what OpenSea has done has been phenomenal, but they've been sort of waffling back and forth between royalty and no royalty. Look, I respect those guys. They're doing what's best, what they feel is best for them. Mm. If you don't like what OpenSea is offering, we don't need to protest on Twitter, aka X. <laughs> we don't need to write any like wild op-eds or protest against them for that. Listen, they're doing what they feel is best for their business and their clientele. Go off and do what's best for you. Period. Go off and find the partners, create the platforms, create the conditions that help you win and that's best for you. Don't take all of your energy and time, rah, 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 mad at OpenSea. What's you being that mad at OpenSea is going to do? Get you a few more likes on X, aka Twitter? No one cares. 
and I say that with a lot of love, do what Josie Bellini did. Her her path is well documented online. She's a super OG. She's brilliant. She has a very strong and dedicated collector base. She's independent. She's not depending on any platform to do anything for her. That's the main thing on her own contract and in her own way, according to the terms that are best for Josie Bellini. The terms that are best for her, her belief system, and what aligns best for her professional art practice and her life right. as a human being. She's not on here protesting and whining because OpenSea wants to do the things their way. So I think like, look, if these platforms aren't doing it for you, make your own way. Bottom line, do you. Right now, the cement is wet. Write your name in, be remembered. You don't have to be famous. Fame is all it's cracked up to be. I'm saying be remembered, make an impact. Even if it's, grandma, look what I did. My community, group of people, look what I've done. Go and be great. Don't let anybody stop you and don't whine about what's not fair because it sounds harsh to say it, but nobody cares. Yeah. Create the impact and be the person you wish that somebody was for you. And so if you want the platform that honors creator royalties, build it. You don't have to build it alone. Get with a few people. G grab the open source code that's out there. Right. Zora has open source code. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't like what OpenSea is doing, go to Zora, Zora.co. But those three brothers figured out how to create a platform and how to honor artists and work with artists and build culture. What OpenSea is doing is business. They're not doing feelings. That's not their, that's not their business. Feelings is not their business and it's not their business model. They're in digital assets, moving, the, moving these digital assets, transacting and making money. For themselves and their partners that's what they do if you thought they did something else you have to get your mind right yeah so i'm not mad at open seat sure in some respects but as you said it's actually opening the door of innovation for others to step in and have their ideas come to the forefront and then you know having a community of people who align with those ideas support them end of story love it now I would be remiss if I did not mention, Lady Phoenix, that you yourself are an artist as well. You haven't mentioned anything about that, but you are the creator of Brianna's Garden, which is a fantastic... I downloaded the app some time ago. It's a really great experience. Thank you. It's been shown at the Tribeca Film Festival and South by Southwest and others. And I'd, I'd love for you to share a little bit about the process of creating that piece sure so i brought situ in the space and he's a prolific artist we've been collaborating since 2018 and so we have a relationship there he is my primary uh, creative collaborator i love him as a human being and also as an artist so in 2020 when everything was going down with um brianna taylor it kind of took the wind out of me mm. because i'm like dang america once again, we have the opportunity as a whole country to really be the beacon of democracy and freedom and all the things that we espouse that are actually not completely true <laughs> of this place. And yet, it's common for Black people to just be shot and gunned down in the streets. And now in the case of Breonna Taylor, gunned down in their home. I just felt as a black woman, as a human being, as an artist, that I needed to do something. And I thought, what can I do? And so initially, Brianna's Garden was not only my tribute to the life and legacy of Brianna Taylor, but it was also my protest. I thought, well, I need to tell the truth about, about the times I'm living in. And I also, as a black woman, wanted to be a part of the healing process for her sister and her family at mm -hmm. large. Uh, when I would look on the news, I just saw her sister, besides looking devastated, she just also looked blank. But it was as if she was escaping somewhere else and yeah. didn't want to be with the cameras and the microphones in front of her face. She'd rather be anywhere 
but thrust it into the limelight, into the spotlight with a, a critical and inaccurate media saying disparaging things about her sister and her having to then answer questions around that. So I really primarily, more than a protest, wanted to be a part of the healing. My heart actually broke for her. And so I thought, well, with VR, we can shut out the world. With VR, she can be in a curated space where it's just her and her sister. And so I brought it to Sutu, who is, in my mind, one of the greatest VR AR artists, period. And he said, I love the idea. Um, let's do it. And he said, I think that we should start with augmented reality because we'll be able to reach more people that way. If we do it with an AR app, anyone who has access to Google Play Store or the um, App Store can get the app and be a part of the experience. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's a fantastic idea. And so I hit up Janaya on DMs through Instagram, not directly, but after following her for some time. Mm -hmm. Chucha and I were busy working in the background. I said, hey, I have this project. I really want to introduce this to you, and I hope you're going to like it. It's a tribute to your sister and also help to start the healing process with you or be a, be a, be a tool in your chest of, of healing modalities. And so at first she was like, no, a lot of people say stuff and they're just talking. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not, the, I'm not that person. My word is real. I'm saying this because uh, I feel uh, responsibility and also a duty and I want to do this. And so I approached her again. Once we had like an MVP to show her and she was like, wow, this is amazing. Okay, I'm in. And then from there, made more progress on the project, showed it to her mother. She and her mother over a Zoom, they both cried and was like, this is like the most amazing thing anyone's done. This is so generous and so thoughtful. Thank you. And we've been on this journey ever since. I encourage people to download the app from the App Store or from Google Play Store and see what it's about. We, we've we made some history with that project. The project has been a part of healing for Brianna's sister, which was the goal. Uh, when I initially met Janiyah, she was pretty mute. She didn't really speak at all. If she did, she was a woman of like few words. You might get one or two words out of her. Getting a full sentence was what was miraculous, you know, um, and and rightfully so. Right? right? She was devastated. She is devastated, and so she's gone from being mute to having a relationship, moving out of the house, having her own place, enrolling in school again. You know, continuing with her life. But, you know, I'm not saying that the project is solely responsible for that. What I am saying is that I accomplished my goal and, and wanting to be a part of the community and the tools that cared for her and that focused on her healing and her well-being. A lot of people aren't aware that Janiyah and Brianna live together. Mm -hmm. So a normal day of, hey, I'll see you later. Uh, what are you cooking for dinner? Okay, I'll be home at six. Um, see you later. That see you later never happened. She left right. home thinking she would return to see her sister and did not. Most people don't know the devastation of that, especially as a young person. Brianna was her world. She told me, Brianna was like my personal diary. I told her everything. Mm -hmm. She was my role model. You know? So when you really understand it with that magnitude, you see why a project like Brianna's Garden would be instrumental and helpful in helping her on the path to healing. Um, I can literally talk to you all day, but I know that we are well over our time. I wanted to ask about the role of Black women in Web3. I like to say that we carry the race in so many ways. Um, I've always been very active in trying to level the playing field, whether it's technology or venture capital, and now in Web3. And when I see folks who really want to, let's say, lift as they climb, it's almost always mostly Black women. And I wonder if you can talk about why this might be important. How do you see the role of Black women evolving here 
in Web3. I will, I will ask you something really quickly before I answer that. I would say first, what do you see the role of other women that are not Black, are not of the culture? What do you see their role being? I do see women in this space as typically being the ones to bring people together. When I look out outside of myself at the other women in the space, they are typically the ones trying to pull people together. So I think maybe that trickles down into Black women as well, just in terms of how we rally for the community and and what what we do. I think that when you when you think of the some of the great movements, um, there there are Black women there always in the space trying to trying to uplift and push things forward. Uh, we may not always get the credit that we deserve, but we certainly are there. Um, okay, that's cool. I love that. You can tell a lot about a culture by the conditions of its women mm-hmm. and by the freedoms and permissions that the women have within that culture. Women are the first creatures on earth. Women are first in the light of the sun. And so I think it is women who have to, in the same analogy, is women who have to give birth to something new and stand guard to ensure that whomever crosses through those gates are the people who are going to add more life and more love and more strength and power to what we are creating. The role of Black women is to provide a firm foundation, to educate, to uplift, and then to put themselves in a position where they can receive their flowers, they can receive support, they can receive care, nourishment, whatever it is that they need to be well for caring so much. So many of us are are great at giving and we're not so great at receiving. So as a black woman, when you speak life into people, when you create trends, put people on, impact people's lives, just understand that that's in your power to do it. You were put here first on earth to both be a leader, but also to give life to everything and to breathe life into everything. That's what I believe. That's my charge as Lady Phoenix. That's my responsibility. And I'm responding to my ability to do that. Other Black women may feel differently, and that's okay. I very much believe in the soft life. So I also believe that as Black women, we're, we have the ability and the opportunity to bring softness back into mm-hmm. creativity and into Web3 because I led on, on those clubhouses and other platforms that I've spoken on, I've led with softness, right? I've led with love. I've led with openness and community. Um, and so you can have the soft life, but know how to wield the sword. I think when you, when you historically get the gifts and the privilege of being a black woman, then you really understand what it is you must do. So ultimately it's up to every black woman to define that for themselves. I've defined it for myself, understanding who I am to earth, to history, to humanity, and to the space. The best gift that Web3 provided me was getting my mind right. Because early on, I wanted to make money to take care of my family. I wanted to make money to get out of debt. I wanted to make money to do X, Y, and Z. But it's the mindset. Now, it wasn't until I made big money that I realized how broke I was. Mm. Because I didn't have the principles to maintain that money. I very quickly learned what those principles were. I'm still learning. And so for me in Web3, I'm like, okay, I need to be in a place where what I'm learning, I can then share. And I'm learning more about financial literacy and crypto literacy. I'm learning now how to generate wealth in such a way that my money will be here three generations from now. Yeah, I'm trying to get it longer. That's how you build real wealth for this world. You got to think beyond the dollars. Well said. Well said. Um, 
I don't even have a follow-up on that. That was that was so good. It reminds me, there's a Public Enemy song. I don't remember the name of the song, but it's uh, it's from a Welcome to the Terror Dome uh, album. At the end of that song, it says, um, what is it? The true worth of a race must be measured by the character of its of its women. And that just kept playing in my head as you were talking and answering that question because I think that you are a perfect, perfect example of that. Thank you. There's so many wonderful nuggets here for all of us, women, men, people of culture, people of whatever, to take away from your words. So I am deeply, deeply grateful for your time, but also your really thoughtful responses to the questions. Uh, I have one final question for you. It's the question that we ask everyone here. And that is, I know you touched on it earlier, but what does culture mean to you? So I think largely culture means to me culture is where you belong, where you feel belonging, where you have synergy with other people, where you feel safe, where you can communicate like one word and someone can complete the sentence, right? Because you have the same or similar understanding of a thing or of a situation. It's culture is like music. That's why I love music so much because music doesn't say, hey, you're this, so you can't be a part of it. Music says, this is the beat, this is the rhythm, these are the lyrics. If it makes you dance, you and me, we're the same. For this moment in time, for these three minutes and 33 seconds, we we speak the same language, we both grooving and and, and doing cutting the rug doing our thing we we share something together and it brings us joy that same sharing can also bring us pain as we saw in 2020 with the black lives matter movement and the number of people who um are from our people of culture affected by all the police brutality but then those other people around who are also people of culture who said i see you my heart breaks for you as well i'm crying too because this is messed up this isn't right Either you're down or you're not down. And if you're down, that's culture. We're folks. That's my people. You're my brother. I'm your sister. You understand what I mean? I think there's too much emphasis placed on difference and not, and there's a difference between you being unique, right? And then just straight up difference. Again, people of color is about difference and othering. I'm not into that. We can recognize that people are different or we have a different way of doing things without othering folks, without creating division. I think for me, culture is about uniting, bringing together. Yeah, that's what culture means for me. I love that, love that, love that. Uh, Lady Phoenix, thank you so much for your time. Like I said, I have so many more questions and I could go on, but maybe we'll have a part two. Hey, I'm down, I'm down. <laughs> Don't get me excited now, uh, but I, <laughs> I am so grateful for your time and your expertise and your understanding and your patience and everything that you have shared here today. I'm so confident that so many people are going to find this beneficial to them um, in their careers and just generally in their lives. There's so much fruit for thought here. Um, in your words. So I just want to say thank you and uh, we will be in touch. Thank you for tuning into my conversation with Lady Phoenix. I hope that you found it as insightful as I did. Uh, we literally could have gone on for another hour or two perhaps. And, and I did think about splitting the conversation into two parts, but I didn't want to divide the time. And so I thought it best just to air the entire thing. Uh, it was really important to me that we start this podcast uh, with someone as important to Web3 as Lady Phoenix. She represents the genesis, the origin story for so many of us. So many of us can recall hearing her voice on Clubhouse back in the day uh, when this whole thing took off. And so it was really important for me to start the podcast with that interview it means a lot to me that she took the time and was gracious enough with it to answer my questions and I hope that you found it insightful 
Thank you for tuning into this episode of Proof of Culture. Your support means the world and you're helping to bring our message to a broader audience. And for that, I am eternally grateful. This podcast is written and produced by yours truly. Our theme songs are A Long Way by Serge Pavkin Music and Titanium by Elysia Beats. Don't forget, the conversation doesn't end here. I'd love to hear your thoughts, feedback, or any suggestions that you might have. Reach out to me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Sean Morrison, that's S-I-A-N-M-O-R-S-O-N, and follow the podcast at Proof of Cult underscore pod. Your feedback and engagement makes a really big difference and helps to shape our journey. If you enjoyed today's episode and you found it enlightening, please share it with your friends or your colleagues or anyone you know who might be eager to learn more about the cultural landscape of Web3. Your support and spreading the word is invaluable and helps us to grow our community. Be sure to tune into our next episode where we'll continue to dive deeper into the fascinating facets of culture in Web3. Until then, keep exploring, keep questioning, and keep cultivating your own proof of culture. Thank you.